some new folks here this morning. We just finished a series. We just finished a series that I was teaching from since February all the way till last week we finished it. And, you know, there were some interruptions in between there. Some of the Sundays we had other guests and, and things going on. But but uh, it was a great family. We did it on Family Design was the name of the series. And uh, if you if you want some of those copies or all of them, you just sign up back there in the sound booth and give them your name and they'll make you the copies and we'll have them next week. Now we don't, we're, we're making some DVDs of now we're filming. We got a, we got a little TV camera back up there and we're filming DVDs, but I'm, I'm going to have to edit a lot of them. I think some of the things I might have said. So I've got to check all those out and they got to be uh, gone through before we can give them out. But, but videos we're not going to give away for free because uh, it costs us a little more money to make the videos and do all that. So, But if you want CDs, anytime you want CDs of the teachings that we do, mine or Kim's on Wednesday nights, they're free. So all you have to do is sign up back there in the sound booth after after the services. I won't just tell them I want that, that, that CD and they'll fix it up for you. So I just want everybody to have the, the teachings for free. Amen. So, and this also you can go on our website. Pam showed us last week kind of how to do that. Go to the Maranatha website. I don't even remember what it is. What was it? Five three zero three zero five. What was it? No. <laughs> Some of you will get that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but we're starting a new series this morning. You're here for the first series, first part in this new series. And the, the series is titled, Passionately Presenting God's Grace and Truth. That's the series title. And uh, Catch the Fire is the first part today. It's the title of my sermon today, Catch the Fire. And uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about fire today. And uh, I just want to thank you all. Before we begin, though, I want to pray for our leaders in America and and uh, locally as well. Father, we just lift up our president and we pray for his protection. We pray, Father, that he would seek the wisdom of God for all the decisions that he makes. And we ask uh, your hand to be on him. And uh, we thank you, Father, that he has surrounded himself with evangelical leaders uh, who are counseling him spiritually. And heaven knows we all need that. And uh, we know we know, Father, that he's not a perfect man. We know that. But, but Father, we, we are so thankful that he has been a president that stands up for the values for, that Christians uh, love. And uh, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now, we ask for all of those in Washington that make decisions on our behalf for our well-being that they would seek the wisdom of God, that they would seek you. If they don't know you, Father, we pray that they would come to the place of knowing you and having a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we, we believe that and we, we pray for that as well for all those leaders here in Texas. We thank you for our governor, uh, Governor Abbott, and we ask you to just bless this state. We thank you for us being born here in Texas, some of us, not all of us, but I thank you that it's a blessing to be born here in Texas. And uh, we just thank you for that. We ask you to bless all of uh, our 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 mayor and our city council here in Luling, they make decisions on our behalf as well, and we just ask your blessings upon them too. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a blessed nation. Your word says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we are. We are a blessed nation in Jesus' name. And we are a Christian nation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Y'all continue to pray every day. Pray for the those, uh, our president and those in authority over us, pray for them. They need our prayers. I think a lot of the problems that we see and hear in the news about what's going on in Washington are because we're not praying enough. The people in this country are not praying enough. Amen? Your prayers are powerful, and you need to know that. You need to pray. Don't just criticize. Don't just uh, uh, talk about everybody, but pray about everybody. Pray about everything. Amen? All right. So the first message in the series today is called Catch the Fire. You know, the gospel is the lifeblood of Christianity. So what is the gospel? You know what the gospel is? It's not the first four books 
of the New Testament, although those are called the Gospels. But the Gospel is the grace message of Jesus Christ. The covenant, the new covenant. We are in a grace covenant today. And uh, that's the good news that we're to be spreading, not the news of judgment and condemnation, but the grace, the love of God, that He died. He sent His Son to pay the price for your sins, and that He is full of mercy and full of grace, and grace abounds in your life. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the lifeblood of Christianity. The grace and mercy of God uh, being made available to every human being on this planet. And that's the good news for everyone. You know what's good news to a sinner? That his sins are paid for. Because every one of us know the sins that we had. And we're so thankful that God has erased those sins and washed us and made us clean and white and whole. Amen. And then you know, you look at yourself and you say, man, I'm not clean and white and whole. Yes, you are. Spiritually, you are. Maybe not in your natural being right now. you still got some work. All of us have, are, are in a work. We're a work in progress. Amen. We left, but we haven't arrived. Amen. So, all, all we have to do to receive the gospel, the truth, is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do to receive that. Just believe. And once we repent of our sins and accept and receive by faith all that Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, and resurrection, then we're called to go. He didn't call us to come up here to the altar and get saved so we could just keep on living like we're living. But He wants us to go and take the good news to others. And our world, our world, everyone in this room has a different world. Your world's different than mine. You go different places. You, you go to a different home. You do different things. Your world's different than mine. So when we talk about, in this series, when we talk about our world, that's what we're going to be referring to, your world around, whatever you, your influence is, where your sphere of influence is, that's your world. So take the good news to the world and, and boldly, boldly declare the gospel, passionately, unashamedly. And why do we do that? Because Jesus commanded us to do so. He commanded us to go. Many people see the, the biblical view of many of our social issues, and we're going to talk about a lot of that in this, in this series, a lot of the social issues, and, and many of them are hot-button issues. Nobody wants to talk about, especially when you're among family at the Thanksgiving meal. Nobody wants to bring this, this subject up or that subject up. But we're going to talk about a lot of those uh, issues in this series over the next few weeks. So the sad fact is, though, that many who call themselves Christians are in agreement with people who say the Bible is just old-fashioned. It's not relevant to today's society. It's just an old antique book, you know, and it's, it's just full of stories. And who knows if they're true or not, you know, and... Let me tell you something. You want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. This is God's will for your life. Not, not this book, but what's in this book. And every page is, is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe even the maps. No. But every page, every word that's written in here was, was men that were downloaded by the Holy Spirit to write. And you know what? I've done this myself, sitting in my office and be writing sermons, be writing down notes and stuff in my sermons, and I'll just feel the Holy Spirit just downloading thoughts into my mind. That's the same way that the Bible was written. Now, I'm not saying I'm a Holy Spirit writer, but I'm writing what I'm hearing. And God speaks to us today. He still does. He speaks to us today. talks to us. And you can talk to Him. He wants that intimate relationship with all of us. Amen. And it's possible. It's, Jesus made it possible. That's, that's one reason. You know, He didn't just come to, to pay for your sins so you could get to heaven. But He came to restore mankind's relationship back to the Father. And that's what He did. He did that. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden, Adam talked with God. And he walked with God. 
Amen. They were in communion together. So many see the, uh, the biblical view of many of our social issues as offensive and old-fashioned. Uh, they, they, they call us right-wingers. <laughs> so be it. Amen. So be it. Did you hear about the guy that brought up a whole pack of chicken legs at H-E-B? He brought them up to the counter and to the clerk, and he said, uh, before you ring that up, uh, miss, I, I would like you to tell me if that's rear legs or front legs. <laughs> she said, well, I, I don't know. Let me, let me go ask my manager. She, ran, she went and asked the manager, and she came back a few minutes, and she said, you think that's funny, don't you? <laughs> Amen. So people, they think uh, that... that Christians were just right-wingers and we're never going to budge. And you're right. We're not going to compromise. Compromise is not a good thing. Politically, in, in politics, sometimes there has to be compromise or nothing sometimes ever gets done. But, but issues that are, that are uh, this is our, our basis for the, our default that we go back to all the time, is the, the Bible. And what does the Bible say about that issue? then there's no way we can compromise as Christians. Amen. Because this is what we base our moral values on the Bible, on the Word of God. It's not on some law. It's on the Word. Okay. So they don't want to offend. A lot of Christians don't want to offend uh, anyone on the hot, hot button issue, so they remain silent. Just remain silent. That's not, and that's the way it's been for a long time. And that's why a, a, lot, of the issue, a lot of the social issues that we find now in America... Or because the church was too silent. Or we didn't speak up. We didn't, we didn't, we just were silent about it. And so it's just overtaken. And now it's all over the place. And when these topics arise in public, they stay silent and avoid any confrontation. I believe it's because they're not, they're not sure themselves what the Bible has to say on these issues. And they may also believe that maybe it's not really that offensive or that, or that sinful. Maybe it's not that sinful. Listen, church. The gospel itself alone is much, much greater offense. It's a much, much greater offense. I believe the church today must teach the believers what the gospel truly is. And it's really, it's, it's the love of God. You know, and I, I honestly believe if people really understood how much God really loves them, then they would understand that His way is the right way. There's a song, The Defender, called The Defender. If y'all have heard it on, on uh, Caleb, or they, they play it a lot. But it says, your ways are better. Your ways are always good. Your ways are good. His ways are good. So what I hope to accomplish in this series of teachings is to establish in each one of you a biblical worldview. As Christians, we need to be established in a biblical, with a biblical worldview. You might call it a philosophy. A philosophy is simply the basic uh, set of ideas or beliefs and values that you live by. It's your outlook on, or, your, or the filter through which you view life. And every piece of information that comes to you in every situation you face is filtered through your philosophy. In a sense, your philosophy predetermines your response to the things happening around you and the results you see in life. So many people today are unaware or they're not sure of even their own philosophy. And they've never established their separate beliefs into a value system through which they view the world and the social and cultural issues. And because of this, we have people with philosophies, belief systems all over the map, so to speak. And many of them are politicians in Washington. And we have progressives, we have liberals, we have independents, we have conservatives, ultra whatever, and fundamentalists and extremists in every realm, in every facet of society. They're all around us. So what I'm hoping to accomplish here at Maranatha is to help establish in each one of you a true foundational biblical worldview. You, as a Christian, need to be founded in the Word of God. 
You need to understand the rights and the wrongs. Because I think so many people today, they got kids, they're raising kids, and they, the parents don't even know what's right and what's wrong. There is a moral, there is a moral code that everybody assumes right and wrong. We just kind of know. There's just knowers. But there's some places that people go, people live in other countries and other values that they don't know what moral, what morality is. They don't even care. I read a story about uh, some gang kids down in Houston that, that uh, brutally murdered two girls and with all the details you would think that went on in this gang with them. And they found these girls murdered. And they arrested the boy. They were a couple of the boys in this gang. They were 14 years to 18 years old, this gang. And one of the boys that was arrested said, Well, we've made the big time now. They, go, they committed a felony or murder, you know. And so now and they had no value whatsoever for the lives of those two girls. And they're going to be in prison the rest of their lives. But they thought, wow, we've made it now. They're just so... Many people in this world today are who are so messed up in their brain that they have no value system. So you as a Christian, all of us as Christians, we need to understand what the Bible has to say about all these issues in life. And I want to tell you something. The Bible, from the front to the back, is still relevant for every bit of a culture and society uh, issues that we deal with today. Still relevant. It's in here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He is the living Word of God. And the Scripture says in Hebrews 13.8, this is in my notes, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change, nor does His Word change. Now we have... Many, many translations. But basically, His true Word never changes. So when we establish in our hearts a true biblical worldview founded upon the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, who has given us a new covenant and a new commandment, we will stand boldly and passionately confident before the opposing worldviews which are contrary to God's Holy Word. You might be of the opinion that the world we live in today is so far gone down the tubes that is it even worth taking a stand for Christ? And where do we begin? It's, it's absolutely worth it because I want to tell you something. We're still building the kingdom of God on this earth. And we're still called to add to that number. Amen. If the rapture happened today, I'd be reaching and grabbing somebody else. To say, Come on. I'll get you saved while we're going up. Amen. Listen, I don't pretend to be anyone of, of, of such importance that you should take my word on it. But I, I profoundly declare that the cause of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the same is worth it all. It's worth it all. And if we don't, who will? If we don't now in this era, in this time in history, if we don't take a stand, who will? See, I'm not I'm of the mindset that we can turn this nation around. We can turn people back to God. I still believe God, you know, gave me that uh, command or that, uh, I forget what's the word I'm looking for, but about, the, about the city of Luling, that we would have a Jonah anointing. And this church would have a Jonah anointing on it, which means we're going to go into this city and everybody in this city will be saved. And their pets too. <laughs> but uh, but uh, in the Bible, see, in Jonah, in the book of Jonah, even the, even the, the, the cattle and everybody, they all had that. They all had to quit eating and everything when they fasted and prayed and repented. Every one of them. Amen. And all their pets. Anyway, but I'm believing that God is capable of saving. If he, listen, Nineveh was a city of over 100,000 people. Every one of them got saved when, when Jonah went. And, re, and they repented and every one of them got saved. Luling's about 5,000, 5,800, something like that. That's, that's nothing for for God. That's nothing for God. Amen. But I want to help him. I'm, want, I'm enlisted in his army. And I'm going to help do my part. Amen. To see that it take place here. Uh, amen. And I think we can do this nationwide. The whole country can do it. Amen. 
You know, there were great awakenings in historically that we can read about. Great awakenings that happened throughout history. England and, and uh, Sousa Street, uh, a revival that happened in California. There are, there's, uh, there's moves of God that take place that just sweep across a nation. And it'll go around the world. And I believe it's possible. Amen. I'm not going to give up. I'm looking for that. That's going to be a glorious day. Amen. So uh, Jesus compels me, and I pray to you as well that he'll compel you to march on in Jesus' name. All right. Now, that's just kind of my introduction of the series, what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And, uh, but today's subject, today's title is uh, Catch the Fire. You know, fire has captivated the interest of humans since the beginning of time. Uh, fire can be amazingly destructive and or it can be incredibly beneficial. We learned when we went to Yellowstone Park that a lot of the uh, forest fires that happen, are uh, they seem destructive and, and look terrible in our eyes. But, it, but the, the park range, one of the park rangers was telling us that Really, it's beneficial for the overall long term. Uh, those, uh, I don't know if it was in the pine cones or something that when the fire, yeah, when the fire burns them, they explode. They, they pop and explode and, and germinate and stuff and just make more, more seeds. And, and it's, it's beneficial, actually beneficial for rejuvenating and rebuilding. So it can be, it can be useful, fire. But we know fire is dangerous. Fire can be dangerous. Or it can be very beneficial as well. Amen? We find fire being used in different ways throughout the Word of God. And there are many stories in the Bible that are connected in some way with fire. And so God, you remember God spoke to Moses through a burning bush that never burned up. It just burned and then it didn't burn up. It was still there. I was looking for that when we went to Israel. We went over there and I was looking for that burning bush still there. But I didn't see it. But uh, He led the people through the desert at night. By a cloud of fire, all the way through uh, to Acts two, where we see that tongues of fire uh, were coming on the people and men and women in the upper room. And uh, man, I want to tell you something. I just I thought about this this morning when I was going over my notes. We were in that upper room, Kim and I, and I think Rick and Pam were with us. I really believe. I don't know when we came back. I felt something different. I felt something different in me. There was uh, just something more I had. And I believe it, it happened when we were in that upper room. I just, I, I just believe I received an anointing or just something additionally in my spiritual realm, in me, that, that when I came back, I, I still feel it. And every time I think about that upper room, it was so powerful. And I still got it. Amen? I still got it. But fire has a consuming power. Uh, and I want us to look at a fire story in 1 Kings chapter 18. You've, you've, you've probably read this. If you haven't, I want you to read it when you go home. I'm not going to read the whole thing today just for time's sake, but there, it's, a, it's a great... Just read the whole chapter of 1 Kings chapter 18. It's, a, it's about Elijah and he, and he uh, challenges the, uh, the, the people of Baal. Let's read there. Uh, we're not going to read it right now, but we'll go there in a minute. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of a wicked man named Ahab? Everybody's heard of Ahab, right? He's a bad dude. King Ahab had to be one of the most wicked kings of Israel. And yet he was one of the, a long line of wicked kings who led Israel after the uh, Israelites had inhabited Canaan. Actually, by this particular point in 1 Kings 18, we find that the nation of Israel and the people of God had turned their backs on God and had reached to a new low of spiritual decadence. Uh, there's a decade after decade after decade of evil that precede this story. And Ahab uh, was endured as the king of Israel for 21 years. And uh, he married an equally wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. Uh, you know, there's unsaved people who have heard of Jezebel. Probably some live with Jezebel. No. But Jezebel and Ahab were devout worshipers of Baal, and as well as the Asherah, which they considered Asherah was, uh, these were all false gods. Asherah was Baal's wife. And they were pagan gods. Baal was viewed 
as the sun god, as amongst other qualities. And uh, we have the prophet Elijah that shows up in this story. And not too long before this event, he had prophesied a famine. And the famine came about just as he had, it came about just as he had prophesied. And now we find Elijah being sent back to Ahab by the Lord to confront him. And by the way, I think it's interesting to remember uh, what the name Elijah means, it partic- particularly in this story. But the name Elijah is made up of three Hebrew words that mean, my God is Jehovah. That's what Elijah means in the Hebrew. Now, there's, there's, that's really important when you consider his life story. Uh, my God is Jehovah. So let's look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's go there. We're going to read. I I remember this story. I've read it several times and it's just so good. But we're going to start in verse 16. Y'all read the whole thing when you go home today. But so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? (laughs) Ahab's telling uh, Elijah that. And he answered, I have not, not troubled Israel, but you and your father's have, house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. And we saw Mount Carmel when we were up on another Mount Tabor or somewhere. We were over there and we could see Mount Carmel from there. That's where this took place. It's just so neat to go to Israel, people. And then you can you can remember all these places you hear about and read about in the oh it's just neat, amen. Y'all are jealous of me, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now he said, verse nineteen. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, and the four hundred and, and the four hundred prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now these are prophets, but they're not. They're not uh, God's prophets. These are prophets of Baal and, and uh, Asherah. So Ahab sent for the children, sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? Now stay with me on this. I want you to hear everything I'm reading here. How long? What Elijah says to the people, all these people that are gathered there. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord... Is God follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. He really wasn't. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Amen. We'll continue in a minute. And the confrontation began. So let's look at this story together. And I've just kind of organized it in scenes for you. And the first scene has to do with the preparation of the fire. So let's look at that first of all. Basically, it happened like this. And you can just listen to me now. We're not going to read that. All of the prophets of Baal and Asherah had gathered together. There's 400 plus 450. That makes 850 evil prophets, pagan prophets, and who are now gathered together along with Ahab and Jezebel. And by the way, they had been caring for and meeting the needs of all these prophets. You know, we read that they've been eating at their table. So they're feeding them. Amen. Surely you're going to go with whatever they tell you to do when they're feeding you. You never bite the hand that feeds you, right? That little dog bit me. My little daughter's dog. No, you didn't. In fact, all 850 were fed regularly at her table. So they had all gathered together along with the people. And these people are the Israelites who have now become very backslidden in their spiritual state. They were the people who God miraculously had given the land of milk and honey to. And now, through years of indifference and complacency, their hearts had become cold toward God. I think as a lot of people in America the same way. They once were Christian. You remember, you remember back at 9-11? You remember 9-12? We all united and we came together. The churches were full. And now we've grown cold again. We're out of danger. Or we think we are. Now they had become worshippers of Baal and Asherah. They had adopted the gods of the Canaanites. So now we find Elijah showing up to make a deal. Remember what his name means? My God is Jehovah. 
to, to kind of set things in place for this, what I call, I call this a fire fact. The audiences included the prophets of Baal and Asherah, the sons of Israel, his fellow countrymen, and Elijah set forth a plan. Basically, he sets forth this challenge. How long are you going to limp around between two opinions? It's quite an interesting word there in the Hebrew language. And it simply means, to put it in modern vernacular, how long are you going to ride the fence? Uh-oh. Is it, is it 12 o'clock yet? How long are you going to straddle the fence? You ever straddle a barbed wire fence? I tried to climb over one one time and slipped. <laughs> Ripped my jeans. <laughs> I had a brand new pair of bell-bottom striped pants. I did. Brand new pair. I was in high school. A brand new pair of bell-bottom pants. They had, they had a gray stripe and a black stripe and a yellow stripe. From here all the way down. I was, I was cooler than... Uh, John Travolta. <laughs> well, I was climbing over the swimming pool fence. Don't y'all do this. Don't tell your kids this. We would sneak in the swimming pool at night. When we, we didn't have nothing else to do in Luling. What else? Did we, we didn't have video games. So we climb over the fence at night and go swimming in our underwear. It was just guys. It was just guys. There weren't no women. We didn't have no girls. There was just guys. And then sometimes we'd go steal a load of watermelons and we'd take them and throw them over into the pool. We'd fill the pool up with, with watermelons one night. See, I was bad. I wasn't a good boy sometimes. But I didn't let my kids do that. They know about it. I didn't let them do it. How long are you going to straddle the fence? Have one foot down in the kingdom of God serving Jehovah and one foot down serving and honoring pagan gods and idolatry. You just can't continue this double-mindedness, this spiritual schizophrenia. That's what uh, Elijah was telling these people. And he said, here, here, I'm here today to bring you to a point of decision. It's time to make up your minds. It's either going to be Baal or it's going to be Jehovah. And the scripture says, and this is big, the scripture says the people said nothing. They didn't say anything. They didn't respond at all. Kind of like the silence that we're hearing today. Uh, let's just take a moment of silence. I hate that. What good does a moment of silence do me? I want to hear something. I want to hear something. I, you know, and I know at some places, uh, maybe a moment of silence is, is, uh, no, it's not. Anyway, <laughs> it's never necessary. <laughs> how many, how many people have heard the gospel in the world and continue to this day to say nothing? And doing nothing to change it. And he made an appeal. He said, let's do this. Let's have a little contest and let's see who is God. Basically, what he said is, if Jehovah is God, then, then let's serve him with all your heart. That's a pretty good message, isn't it, for all of us? Amen. Serve him with all of your heart. I mean, if Jesus is God, then let's give it all to him. Amen. And if he's not, then let's just quit playing these religious games. Let's close all the churches and just do something else. But then Elijah says, if Baal is God and Jehovah is not God, then let's just forget about all the temple worship. And forget the tabernacles. And let's just worship Baal. Let's just, let's just go worship the sun. It was beautiful last night, wasn't it? Yes. It was beautiful. But Elijah says, we're here to decide today. I want you to know that Elijah's purpose for showing up this day. And what I believe the real reason for this confrontation by Elijah was. It wasn't for Ahab. It wasn't for Jezebel. It, and it really wasn't for the 850 evil prophets, although they got something too in the end. It was for the people that he was calling back to God. They were backslidden and cold toward God, and Elijah was calling them back to God. Listen, I don't believe we realize when we're drifting away from our first love. We sang that song this morning. Man, I didn't even realize that was going to be what I was talking about, that song that says, 
replace the lamp of my first love. You remember how on fire you were when you got saved and you just came? I came back from church camp when I got saved at 14. And I, I wanted to save everybody. I wanted to go talk to everybody. I wanted to tell everybody. And my parents said, get in here and sit at the table and shut up. And so I did. I wasn't encouraged. And the church I was in at the time didn't encourage me to continue in it either. And I don't blame I'm not mad at anybody. But I don't believe we realize when we are drifting away from our first love. We skipped one service this month and we used to come on Wednesday nights, but for some reason we just can't seem to do it anymore. Just can't seem to make it. Church, listen, our fellowship and communion with the saints is vital for our growth as believers. We worship together. We pray together. We cry together. And we carry each other's burdens and we encourage each other. And Satan knows that if he can keep you from catching on fire for God, then you'll be useless to the building of the kingdom of God. He wants to keep you cold and indifferent to the things of God. Listen, your life is going in the direction of your dominant thoughts. If you want to change the results in your life, you have to start by changing the way you think. You have to allow God's Word to get down to the foundation of your philosophies, of your beliefs. You have to renew your mind. That's very important. You have to renew your mind. So Elijah said, I'm here today to bring you to a point of decision. Make up your mind. It's either going to be Baal or it's going to be Jehovah. He said, if it's Baal, then we'll just forget all the temple worship. And this challenge really wasn't for Abel. Uh, Ahab or Jezebel or even the pagan prophets. But, but Elijah was passionately presenting the grace and truth of who God really is. Elijah's own countrymen had forgotten who the real God was. They were backslidden and cold toward God. And Elijah was calling them back to God. This, that was his purpose for this particular contest or firefight. So, now let's look at the second scene. Here's the, the proof of the fire. Basically, Elijah, God's only prophet present at the time, declares war on these false prophets and their god Baal. And he made a proposition to them and he said, let's, let's each take an ox, get some wood, build an altar, and you go first. Sometimes that's a wise position to take. You go first. So they put the meat on the altar that they had built and then they began to worship and call upon their god. Basically, the deal was this. The contest was going to be won by one distinguishing fact. Whichever God answers with fire. Fire was what was going to make the difference. If you get fire from your God, Baal on the altar, then we'll all go serve Him. But if I get Jehovah God to pour fire down on my altar, we win. It's a great story. Read it. Read it when you get home. I'm kind of telling the whole thing. But he, he, he said, is, is that a deal? And they said, sure. Okay. So they began to pray to Baal and then they begged and they danced and they did everything possible to get his attention to their sacrifice. All to no avail. Then they went, then they went from early morning till noon and by this point, you know, Elijah has been pretty good about holding his words. But he just couldn't hold it any longer and he begins to mock them about noontime. What's wrong? Where's Baal? Is he too busy? Maybe he's busy having a meal. He started saying all kinds of stuff. He even says at one point, is he going to the bathroom? <laughs> Read it. It's in there. Just wait a little bit and then you can disturb him. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you ought to shout a little louder. It actually got so bad that they were having personal sacrifices on the altar to try to get Baal's attention. They started cutting themselves and doing all this. The blood's everywhere. These people were doing it just to try to get Baal to hear them. And what's interesting here is this, they just went through months of famine without their Baal being able to send rain. And now they think they can get him to send fire. But after all their efforts, they finally gave up and said, OK, now, Elijah, it's Jehovah God's turn. So Elijah takes them back to the original altar that they had been destroyed, that had been destroyed and said, let's rebuild the altar and he took 12 stones, one for each tribe, put them in place and placed the oxen there. And then he said, let's make this contest a little more interesting. Go get some water. 
And they're going through a famine. But he tells them, go get some water. Get, get four jars. These are huge, huge jars. Get four jars of water and pour it on the altar. And do it again three times, three times. And they soaked the altar and the sacrifice was so much that it filled the ditches around the altar. Then Elijah stepped up and simply said, God, I know that you're really God. And it's time for you to prove it to these folks. Prove to them that you are the only God worth serving. And what happened? Wouldn't you like to have a video clip of that? I would have loved to see that. Maybe maybe God's got it somewhere. And we can see it when we get there. Fire shooting down from heaven. Zapping that water-soaked sacrifice. And all of a sudden consumed not only oxen meat, but the stones, the wood, and the water consumed it all. Boy, talk about fireworks now. That was fireworks. God came through big time. Isn't that just like our God? He always exceeds our expectations. Amen. How? Well, how did these people respond? Well, we'll look at verse, uh, look at, look at chapter 18, verse 39. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Isn't it amazing how one powerful act can change people's hearts? How many of you know that only God can change a person's heart? Only God can do that. God was answering Elijah's prayer with this this act about bringing the people back to understanding that he is the only true God. He is till to this day the only true God. And then Elijah simply wrapped things up. He He ordered that all the 850 false prophets be seized taken away, and they slaughtered every one of them. They killed them all. Wow. Quite a day in the life of Elijah. My God is Jehovah. Now, I want to show you some practical things that we can learn from this story. It's a great story, and you read it again. And I I, I want you to see a verse in James chapter 5, verse 17. And the Passion Translation says it like this. Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. But he prayed and received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there would be no rain for three and a half years. He did that. He prayed and that happened. In the Bible is another story. I believe we can all learn something from this story in 1 Kings chapter 18. When we, number one, number one, when we are sure we are in God's will, we can act with boldness. Amen. You can act with boldness. Elijah, not too long before this event, was running away from Jezebel. But when you know that you're right with God and you know that you're in his will, when you say something to someone, there's just that extra punch in there. You have that anointing, that confidence, that boldness of the Holy Spirit. What the church needs today is the fire of God. Great boldness, greater boldness. Number two, compromise is as wrong as open idolatry. Really is. We don't think we're guilty of idolatry because we know we don't bow down to some other idols like they did in the Bible. But but let me ask you this question this morning. Could there possibly be compromise in your life? Some kind of compromise somewhere. Where maybe like the children of Israel have been comfortable. You have become so comfortable that you've begun to adopt some carnal thinking or some carnal behavior. And now maybe you're straddling the fence. So to speak. Well, I'm, that, that movie's not too bad. Just only had a few curse words. Straddling the fence or limping between two opinions simply means to be double minded and to be in compromise. What does Scripture say about a double minded person? Won't receive anything from God. A double minded person won't receive anything. If you look at a lot of Christians today, you can't help but notice their primary issue isn't open idolatry or rebellion against God, but it's casual 
Christianity. I'm not talking to anybody in this room. Maybe some of them up the street somewhere. Y'all know better. But it's being so casual that we compromise just enough to where we can stay comfortable. And God tells us in this passage that it's wrong. You know. You, you know, if you've been a Christian any period of time, you know when you're not doing something right. You just know it. And we've all been there. We've all been there. And you feel that. You know this is not right. Me and, Kim, me and Kim went years ago. This is years ago. We went to a picture show down in Corpus. And as soon as we got in there, we didn't know much about this movie. And, but they just started right off the bat cussing foul words. It was, Kim, let's go. We got up and left there. Because I don't want to put, hey, my, I'm not a trash can. So I don't put trash in it. I don't care where it comes from. I ain't going to put trash in this can. Mm-mm. Compromise will lead you further and further down the path eventually into open rebellion. And more importantly, as far as God is concerned, it's just as wrong. Is there compromise in your life? Compromise in your life today? You've got to ask yourself that question. Is there compromise in what you do, where you go, and what you say? Do you talk one way on Sunday and another way on Monday? Is there compromise in your life? Ask yourself that question. Do you know that, do you know that one of the things that, we, that will spark revival is a repented people who come to grips with compromise and who wash their hands of it and who come back to a total allegiance and alignment with God and His will. That will spark revival every time. And God's looking for that in every individual. Number three, our most effective weapon is prayer. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to. I don't know how to overcome. Pray, pray, and ask God to help you. Did 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 God come through when Elijah prayed? Elijah was a man just like you, a being, a human being just like you. He wasn't anybody special. He just prayed, and God answered his prayer. He will answer yours as well. Our most powerful weapon is not. Legislation, activism, but it's prayer. It's prayer. Prayer is the only weapon that will change our nation and our world. Prayer. It takes more than prayer, but it begins with prayer. Amen? Prayer was the weapon that Elijah used. It wasn't the fire. It was the prayer. The fire was simply God's action in response to Elijah's prayer. But God responded to Elijah's prayer because Elijah was willing to lay it all on the line for God. He put it out there. Would you be so bold as to gather up all that stuff and pray? Fill it up with water. Put some water on it, too. God, you're God. Show him. He knew who God was. He said, if Baal can do it, we'll serve him. He took the risk because he really knew who the real God was. Number four, you should, you should never, ever... Ever under, underestimate the power of one. One plus God. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon once said, one plus God is a majority. One without God is a loser. But one plus God is a winner. If you'll get on God's side, by the way, He doesn't usually move to your side. You move to His side. And when you backslide, guess what? God don't slide. You slid. Amen. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. All it takes is one with God to make a majority. It doesn't matter what you're facing in life. It doesn't matter how big your problem is. Because remember that one plus God is a majority. Number five, God demonstrates the supernatural To get people's attention. He did it in Elijah's case. The operation of one manifestation of the Holy Spirit can convince an unbeliever. You believe that? Just like that. You can argue and debate with someone for years and years and years. But one demonstration of the supernatural is all it takes to turn someone's heart to God. And God works through people to do supernatural things. Amen. 
You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for us are supernatural. They're not natural. And they're supernatural for us to use that God's given us. Not at our request, at our being, but He, he leads by His Spirit. And listen, it's not because of it's not because of what you know, it's because of who you know. Amen. Have you grown to become a casual Christian? This isn't the hour nor our time in history to become or to be a casual Christian. We need to rise up out of that. Right now, we, we here in America face little persecution, if any at all, as Christians. But our religious freedoms are constantly under attack, even here in this nation. The church must rise up today. We need to be totally sold out to this, this God we serve, because in the end, there is no other God. There is no other God but Jehovah. No other. Amen? Let me pray over you. Uh, let me just tell you, there are other religions in the world, but there's only one God. And, and He's the God of Christianity. He is not the God of Islam. He's not the God of any other religion. We don't serve the same God as any other religion. We don't. Amen? If, if our God is not the God that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, then He is not God in some other religion. If, if God is not the Holy Trinity in that religion, He is not God. The, the person they are worshiping is not God. Is not the one true God. That's how we define cults today. You want to know how you define what, what religion is a cult? If, if, if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not the God of that religion, they are a cult. That's just the easiest way I know to define it. And people say, well, well uh, we and, and the Muslims, we, we serve the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. No. Because our God is Jehovah. And there is no other God whose name is Jehovah. And there's no other power greater than Jehovah. No other name. Love has a name. And His name is God, Jehovah. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I, I 